Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, April 20th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the governor extends the shelter-in-place order and how the Delta Health Center is making testing available for a vulnerable community. Then, concerns over learning loss mount as school buildings stay closed. Plus, 10 years later, we revisit the BP oil spill. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's shelter-in-place order is being extended one week despite growing economic angst in the state. Governor Tate Reeves announced the extension last Friday, calling on Mississippians to remain vigilant. I know we cannot stay in this position for much longer, but we are still in the eye of the storm. Governors have the authority to decide what is best for their own states. We're going to take more time to study the guidances and make sure that they make sense given the situation on the ground in Mississippi. I made a vow to protect the people of Mississippi. I have to do what the best information and wisdom I have tells me to do. Right now, it tells me I have to ask you for one more week. One more week of vigilance. One more week of sheltering in place. It's working. It's working as a temporary tool. It has to work for one more week, and then we can begin to reopen our state. I'm looking at every number, COVID-19 infections, COVID-19 deaths, as well as unemployment figures, and they tell me this is the best course of action at this moment. The extension does provide some revisions to the previous executive order. Governor Reeves says these relaxed measures will hopefully improve the mental and financial health of the state's residents while providing some relief to non-essential businesses. There are a few changes coming to our shelter in place that we hope will help the people of Mississippi to stay safe, both mentally and financially. First, 
I'm glad to say that I've gotten guidance from our state and local officials that they feel confident they can regulate our lakes and our beaches safely. We can allow them to reopen for individuals to fish or to relax. It's a small thing, but I hope it helps even a bit for people who need to safely get out in the sun for their own sanity. We need to do anything we can to help address the growing depression, isolation, and other mental health issues. That matters. We're also starting to ease the brakes on certain small businesses. Again, I hope we could be at a place where I was announcing a full reopening today. That's just not where we are. We are going to allow drive through curbside, or delivery sales by, quote, non-essential, end quote, businesses. Clothing stores, florists, or athletic goods can do safe sales. If a salon or other business wants to safely sell their excess supplies to stay afloat, they can do that. Call ahead or order online, then safely pick it up. Now, they have to follow strict health guidelines, but they can have some sales while meeting that standard. Mississippi is experiencing record unemployment claims as a result of the pandemic. Since March 15th, nearly 130,000 unemployment claims have been filed through the Department of Employment Services. Scott Waller, president and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council, tells our Desiree Frazier, small businesses and service industry professionals are the hardest hit. Well, I, I think the, the small business is really where you see it, particularly restaurants, uh, small retail shops, you know, what, what commonly would be referred to as Main Street. And, and I think that's where particularly uh, during the shelter-in-place uh, that many of those businesses are, are trying to adjust to do the best they can. You know, all of our restaurants, uh, the number of our restaurants are, are, are creating a, curb, a, a curbside service where people can still do it and, and take an extreme taking really extreme safety measures to make sure that it, it, it's, everything's healthy. Uh, and, and I think that's probably where you see the hardest hit. But I think all of our businesses understand how, how you know, what a crucial time we're in to, number one, provide services, but number two, protect and, and do the things and put safety measures in place so that their employees, their customers, and all can feel comfortable that everything is taking place to to create a safe working environment uh, so that they can continue to do what they need to do to provide these these key services. As officials, state officials, um, health officials meet to talk about how to move uh, the state forward, reopening the e- economy, where are businesses on that issue? I think there's a, there's a, a very much a, uh, a feeling of the sooner we can do it, the better. But I also think that there, there has to be the safety, uh, the safety side of it taken into place because if you do it and you open back up and your customers are still very uncomfortable about getting out of doing things, you're just going to be sitting there with your lights on and nobody at the door. So you've got to do it in a manner that the, the consumer feels confident that safety measures are in place, that it's safe to go back out. 
Scott Waller is president and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council. Mississippi is expected to reach the peak of cases this week. Yesterday, the Department of Health reported 300 new confirmed cases of COVID-19. That's the highest single-day report to date. Total cases in the state rise to 4,274, with 159 total related deaths. The Mississippi Department of Health is continuing its aggressive testing strategy this week through additional one-day collection sites. One will be available today in Bolivar County at Delta State University's Horace McCool Stadium in Cleveland. Anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19 and feels they should be tested must first go through a free screening from a UMMC clinician through the C Spire Health UMMC triage app. Coming up, how the Delta Health Center is making testing available for a vulnerable community. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Data from the Mississippi Department of Health revealed that black Mississippians are being disproportionately affected by the coronavirus. To combat this trend, community health centers in the Mississippi Delta are working to increase testing for residents with or without symptoms. As Dr. John Fairman of Delta Health Center tells our Alexandra Watts, they're hoping to prevent those who have the virus and don't know it from spreading it. They have to do absolutely nothing but drive up and get in line. We have decided that um, the prior approval thing was for those who were symptomatic. And we've taken the approach that we want to get ahead of the problem and test those who are not only symptomatic, but those who don't know, who have the virus but don't know it. And are, some are transmitting it and not all are as, highly infectious as others, but no one really understands why. So we decided to offer it to everyone in the community regard and for free. We will bill their insurance, but if, even if they object to that, we're still going to give them the test free. We're asking everyone to spread the word. The, the public has been incredibly great, grateful and appreciative that this is being offered to them uh, even when they're not symptomatic. Are you hoping to increase the number of testing in the future? Absolutely. Uh, it is our plan to do the following Thursday, the 30th of the month, in Indianola. Both Cleveland and Indianola are listed in the top 10 um, worst, worst hot spots in the United States per capita. So we think it's a, it our moral responsibility to do what we can to um, help those persons who are spreading it unknowingly um, uh, uh, realize that they have it and they can take proactive measures to protect their own life as well as that of their friends, neighbors, and coworkers and loved ones. 
How important is it to bring this testing to the Delta? Not just testing, but testing for people who might not know that they carry it. It's very important for that uh, very same reason, because once they know they have it, then they're in a position to do something about it. Uh, it's uh, evidence suggests across the country and across the globe that most people who are spreading it do not realize that they have it, particularly the young, because they're more likely to be asymptomatic if they do not have underlying um, health risks like diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and so on. We not only, we're hitting the hot spots, Bolivar County, Sunflower County, and then we will go wherever we need to. We will go to Greenville. We cover five counties, Bolivar, Washington, Sunflower, Sharkey, and Issaquina. And it is our intent to offer it to all comers. Dr. John Fairman is with the Delta Health Center. The center will conduct a drive-through test collection this Thursday in Cleveland across from the Bolivar Medical Center. Coming up, concerns over learning loss mount as school buildings stay closed. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Class is still in session, but public school campuses across the nation remain closed due to concerns over the coronavirus. In the Deep South, where schools rank at the bottom, experts say long school closures could set back the majority of students. And as MPB's Ashley Norwood reports, for some students, the setback is expected to be much worse. When schools closed in mid-March to prevent the spread of the coronavirus, teachers were forced to practice distance learning and resume instruction online. Ashana Begard of New Orleans is a single mother with two school-aged children. She says her third-grade son is autistic. The community organizer with a two-year degree says she's had to step up and play teacher while facing other barriers during this pandemic. Those people are trained to do those services. I am not. I'm just a parent. I have other things I'm trying to do. I'm still trying to figure out how to make money so I can put a roof over our head and feed us. Mississippi's Republican Governor Tate Reeves says school buildings will remain closed for the rest of the year due to the coronavirus. His recent decision comes after neighboring state Alabama announced in March schools will be closed for the rest of the semester and just before Louisiana would also choose to close campuses until further notice. Reeves says districts should be looking at options like summer school or beginning fall classes early to help students who are falling behind. We're going to work with our local superintendents because it's It's going to depend on how much distance learning actually occurred in some districts and in some areas and in some schools. They may feel very comfortable with where the vast majority of their kids are, and if that's the case, that's fine. Reeves is expected to sign an executive order with details for school districts to develop enhanced learning plans for their students and their communities. But regardless of distance learning, some advocates say whenever schools return, the likely result is a generation of students forced to play catch-up perhaps even for years to come. Nancy Loom is with the Education Advocacy Group, the Parents' Campaign. 
despite our very best efforts, we know that what they are getting through these online programs, and particularly students who don't have access to the online programs, is simply not anywhere close to what they were getting in the classroom. You just cannot replace a quality teacher with an online platform and expect the same result. Loom says some of the most vulnerable students are those living in deep poverty or lacking home internet access. Mississippi trails most of the other states in both categories. About 30% of households in the state lack broadband. The state is also close to the bottom of the list for income per capita. Like its neighboring states, Mississippi ranks near the bottom in education at number 46, Louisiana ranks 48, and Alabama ranks 50th, according to the U.S. News and World Report. In order to understand how severe students' learning loss may be, Researchers are examining data on the summer slide. It is a decline in reading ability and other academic skills that can occur over the summer months when school isn't in session. Paul Von Hippel is an associate professor of public policy at the University of Texas at Austin. He says this year's losses could be greater than normal. Children learn less when school is out than when school is in. Uh, at least less as far as academic skills go. And when there's a long interruption that's not made up for in some way, more kids end up repeating a grade, fewer kids go to college, and the effects can last into, into adulthood. You see people not being as stably employed as they would be otherwise, not making as much money and so on. On a conference call, Mississippi Superintendent of Education Kerry Wright says the recovery plan is critical. The state is anticipating about $170 million from the CARES Act for public K-12 schools. Majority of the money, she says, will be dispersed across the state's 140 districts to help shore up their distance learning needs and decrease the gravity of students' learning loss. There are pockets in our rural communities where they do not have broadband, they don't have access to the internet. That is something that I think that we need to address as a state. We are going to be having these monies come in from the federal government, and since they are one-time money, this is the perfect time for us to be looking around at what uh, can we do to help all areas of the state ensure that all children have access to the Internet. Wright says this is especially important in case there's a resurgence of COVID-19 in the fall, shutting down schools completely and leaving children's learning dependent on the state's broadband access. School leaders are now faced with trying to assess where students stand academically and how to address potential learning gaps. Exactly how that will happen is unclear. But education officials say they are going to do all they can to make sure no child is left behind. Ashley Norwood, MPB News. Coming up 10 years later, we revisit the BP oil spill. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. 
Today marks 10 years since the explosion of the Deepwater Horizon oil rig, leading to one of the worst environmental disasters in history as more than 200 million gallons of oil spilled into the Gulf of Mexico. Jill Mastrotetero is the policy director for Audubon, Mississippi. She tells MPB's Evelina Burnett the last decade has cleared up some of the fears and uncertainties brought on by that massive spill. When I think of some of the images that, you know, were coming on the front pages of our newspaper and our nightly news um, day after day in the aftermath, I think there was a lot of fear and uncertainty about what the oil and the dispersant was going to do to our ecosystem, uh, our wetlands, our seafood, our birds, and also our people. And one of the things that we realized not soon after in what ensued was that there really wasn't a good body of science around the Gulf and the health of the Gulf. And so one of the pieces that Audubon was able to marshal from our volunteers and supporters at the time was to establish a volunteer support center that helped train dozens of people across four Gulf states to actually go out on our beaches, monitor them for the oil, monitor them for oiled wildlife and birds. And so we were able to start the beginnings of what is now today our coastal stewardship and monitoring program that spans all five Gulf states. And so I think one of the strengths of Audubon was really to bring our members and supporters in the greater Gulf community together to be all hands on deck. But now even still today, 10 years later, we're out there with our supporters and volunteers every day gathering science that helps feed into what the priorities are for restoration and the $20.8 billion settlement is the silver lining of this tragedy and how to make sure that every dollar is spent in a way that is impactful for our resources, but also for our people and their livelihoods. Well, looking back on the the dollars that have been spent already, what are your thoughts on how they've been spent and whether they've had the impact that you would hope that they would have? Well, 10 years seems like a long time, and certainly there's been a significant amount of investment uh, towards the resources, but in that 10 years, a lot has needed to get stood up, like administrative bodies and the bureaucracy and how to actually have those dollars flow down to projects and getting the science to help direct where those projects should happen, and so... We are really just at the beginning of restoration. And as we start to see those dollars that may be committed and look spent really just only start to turn dirt or get plants in the ground today, there's still many years to come as to how those returns are actually impacting and hopefully benefiting our habitat, our wetlands, our birds, and our wildlife. Um, And so really this is generations in the making restoration process. And so Audubon has been fortunate to be certainly at the beginning of of all of this, but still to this day being committed on the Gulf here in Mississippi, but also across the region to ensure that, you know, the dollars are spent in the best way possible so that it's the triple bottom line benefit of benefiting the resources, benefiting the people and also our economy. I know this is like a very comp, like it seems like a, it's a quick question to ask, but it's a complicated one to answer. So, um, Do you feel like the coast has recovered from the oil spill? I think that Mississippi coast has really made significant strides over the last 10 years in terms of how resilient the people are, how resilient 
um, the resources are. Um, obviously, we don't see the oil on our shores anymore. I think there's the occasional tar ball. But we know that we live in a very dynamic system. And just last year with the Bonnie Carey spillway opening, those uh, after effects are still unfolding in coastal Mississippi. And so I think that when we think about the best way to spend this windfall of money um, is really looking ahead and making sure that we have kind of resilience in mind when we're investing in projects so that it's a dollar that's not just spent today but that lasts for years to come and making our habitats healthier, making our seafood industries healthier, certainly making our birds healthier, but also helping to safeguard our coastal communities from future storms as well. And our barrier islands are a great example of that um, in terms of being that speed bump, that critical speed bump to protect us. But as we get farther into the sound, our coastal marshes and bayous also need you know, good investment. And so we've been fortunate to see a lot of dollars spent in supporting our coastal preserve habitats and getting them back to where they should be. You can't just protect uh, an area and hope that it continues to stay as pristine as as it could be, we actually have to maintain and nurture those places. Do you think that we've added resilience since 2010 or it was like it kind of showed the existing resilience? I think that we've been able to recognize that there are now monies available to strengthen the resilience of our coastal habitats. We know that sea level rise is happening. Uh, We know that our coastal marshes need to be able to migrate inland to continue to protect our coastal communities from storms and flooding, but also to nurture our seafood industry and our nature tourism industry. And so, you know, resiliency is something that I think you don't just think you invest in and walk away from it. It's really a long-term commitment. And that's something that I think Audubon really um, bakes into our thinking and our work on a day-to-day basis. Jill Mastrotataro is the policy director for Audubon, Mississippi. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.